0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode three of the Rattle Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jesse Friedman, alongside my co-host, Jeff Weiser. And Jeff, this Arizona Diamondbacks team has had arguably their best week of the season over these last uh, seven days since we recorded our last show. The Diamondbacks have started a 10-game road trip with a 6-2 record. They swept the Atlanta Braves. Uh, which I think for Diamondbacks fans was, was probably a, a, a pretty good feeling given uh, the Diamondbacks' history with the Braves um, and all the, all the players that they have unfortunately traded over there. Um, so that, I think, felt good for a lot of people. And then the Diamondbacks did drop two out of three to the Chicago Cubs over the weekend, a uh, tough series finale there with Gerard Dyson hitting a big game-tying home run in the ninth inning, and then Archie Bradley uh, unfortunately, blowing that game in the bottom of the ninth inning, Diamondbacks lose that one two to one and, and ultimately lose the series there. Um, but then the Diamondbacks go to, or headed, should I say, to PNC Park. Um, where they have so far, as we speak right now, have taken the first two games of the four-game series there. Diamondbacks, as we speak, have won eight consecutive games at PNC Park, which is very impressive. I'm not sure exactly if there's anything to that, but for some reason, the Diamondbacks have have fared very well in Pittsburgh as of late. And Jeff, you look at the standings right now, the Diamondbacks are tied for second place in the NL West division. Their run differential is plus 10. Uh, which is frankly pretty good. It is second only to the Dodgers in the NL West. All the other teams are are negatives, uh, relatively strong negatives. Um, so right now, Jeff, frankly, the Diamondbacks have, have put on a pretty good show over the first 24 games of the season. The season is obviously still young. I don't think we can really definitively say what this team is as of yet, but by all indications, through 24 games, if you had told me the Diamondbacks were going to win 13 of them, I, I think I would have been happy with that at the start of the season.
1: Yeah, same here. I, I agree. I think that's a pretty strong showing for them. I think, you know, obviously we sort of came into the season with them pegged as about a 500 club, um, and they've really sort of, you know, produced that pace with some ups and downs, um, but yeah, it's they're off to a strong start, uh, you know, relatively speaking, and you you know, it's, it's interesting. There's been some nights where, you know, the, the starting rotation hasn't been good and the bats have picked them up, and then, you know, vice versa. They've, they've eked out a, a win here or there uh, when the bats were a little cold, but the pitching was strong. So, you know, they're they're kind of showing, like, uh, you know, what maybe we sort of thought this team was going to be, you know. Like, uh, on the whole, it's pretty solid. Does anything really jump out at you? I mean, I think going in, we probably would have thought the rotation would have been a little more you know, consistently strong, but they're kind of, like, finding different ways to get it done, and it's it's been kind of encouraging to see them win uh, not just the games, but also, like, win in different ways.
0: Before we go any further talking about the Diamondbacks' games and their performance on the field, uh, this is actually a, a fitting segue. It was just announced a couple hours ago that Blake Swihart, is getting his first start tonight in a Diamondbacks uniform. The Diamondbacks acquired Swihart from, of course, the Boston Red Sox, who I believe it placed him on waivers. The Diamondbacks uh, gave up outfield prospect Marcus Wilson in the deal. They also acquired $500,000 of international pool money in this trade. Um, I'll go ahead and, and give my quick assessment of the trade, and then, Jeff, I'll pitch it over to you. I'm curious what you think as well. Um, th- this feels like the kind of deal that that you really can't critique too hard in either direction. Um, at best, the Diamondbacks got um, a guy in Blake Swihart who is said to have a decent bat, at least in their eyes. They seem to be um, high on his ability to hit, even though um, his showing in Boston last season was not particularly strong. I believe he hit under 230, uh, didn't do a whole lot for them offensively, though he is... Um, a good utility type player to have on your team. He plays virtually every position, potentially even center field. Um, So we can literally play just about anywhere on the diamond, which I think does have value in itself. Uh, but Blake Swihart is not, you know, uh, the, the same highly regarded guy that he was when he was first coming into the league. A lot of people thought that Swihart was going to be one of the better catchers in baseball for a long time. And he's really struggled uh, for the Red Sox overall in his time there. Uh, he's been up and down. His roles have, have changed a lot um, and, and so I, I don't think the Diamondbacks necessarily hit the jackpot with this trade, uh, just based on the fact that Blake Swihart is a guy who's been in this league for, for quite some time now and, and really has yet to, to break through in any kind of major way. Uh, but on the flip side, it, it also feels like Swihart is not really a bad guy to acquire. I think it's it's a hard argument to make that the Diamondbacks made a big mistake here. Uh, Marcus Wilson, I believe, ranks around... Uh, number 20 in the Diamondbacks' farm system, or at least he did. Um, so by no means is is Marcus Wilson one of the— Di- or was he one of the Diamondbacks' better guys in their system, but he was also um, uh, good enough to make the top 30. Uh, he, had a, he had a good season um, in low A a couple years back, really bursted on the scene, and then last year in high A uh, was not quite as good, had an OPS under 700, uh, this season, in a very small sample size for the Diamondbacks in AA, uh, he had an OPS of up over 800. So, uh, big, small, very, very much a small sample size there. So, it's hard to really evaluate that. But I don't think Marcus Wilson is necessarily the kind of guy you're going to uh, miss in a huge way um, necessarily, although he definitely could surprise us down the road. Uh, but, Jeff, for me, this trade looks like a situation where the Diamondbacks didn't really win big, but they really didn't lose big. Either. This is this is kind of a trade that doesn't seem to fall very strongly in either direction for me.
1: Yeah, I would I would think that the upside here is, you know, in a sense, significantly greater than the downside and the upside being, you know, sort of split, um, you know, with the return. I think Swihart is a guy that has for a long time been been promising and as you noted, has never really quite clicked Um you know, it's, he's no longer young. Um, I remember when Blake Swihart was a top prospect in the game and everyone was very excited. And yeah, uh, I looked and I was like, he's now 27. Like, he is not young anymore. Uh, but, you know, the most playing time he ever received, I mean, he played 84 games and he was 23. Uh, and in his, you know, debut, he was just, you know, slightly under a league average as a hitter. Um, and then he played 82 games for the Red Sox last year. But his age twenty four season, he only played nineteen games in the majors. His age twenty five season, he only played six games in the majors. So, I think that the jury, in some ways, you know, maybe still out. Um, Mike Hazen and company are obviously very familiar with Blake Swihart, right. and you know, I I keep coming back to, um, sort of like the extension that the Diamondbacks uh, were able to come to with Eduardo Escobar, where, you know. It, it happened early in the offseason, and it just seemed like my case and the company felt like there was value there in that contract. Mm-hmm. And Eduardo Escobar is not the guy that's going to carry the team, but there was value there. I see the same sort of thought process around Blake Swihart where it's a value play. Um, I really enjoyed covering Marcus Wilson um, and had a chance to interview him in the past. and He's a great kid, and I'm going to kind of miss uh, covering him, and I'll sort of keep an eye on on him going forward. But I don't think he's a guy that the that the team is really going to miss from an organizational standpoint. But getting the five hundred thousand dollars back in international spending money is really helpful. And the Diamondbacks already had a lot of international leverage. We we sort of touched on that very briefly in our last episode. So uh, this just like deepens their pocket on an international uh, from an international stance and. It's it's interesting because there are some big bonus guys. Like you think of a guy like Christian Robinson who got a lot of money signing, um, you know, when he did out of the Bahamas. But then there are guys like you know Jazz Chisholm that did not sign for big money. Um, There are a lot of international prospects because they signed so young. Um, You know, like I like Geraldo Perdomo. I don't believe was a huge bonus guy. I mean, these aren't you know three four million dollar. Uh, bonuses. I mean, some of these guys are signing for, you know, 50 grand or, you know, something like that. So right. um, if you get $500,000, you can, you know, you can make 10, $50,000 bets. Uh, and so I, I think that that's a, a huge aspect of it for the Diamondbacks. And so, you know, where Swihart kind of fits in is, I think, going to be a work in progress. But, you know, hey, the, the, they sold, you know, what in most people's eyes I think was probably very little, um, got back something that's at least interesting in return, and then there's the upside on the international market. So, uh, I I love this deal for them. Like I, when I saw it, I, I I couldn't believe it.
0: I think this is a very typical Mike Hazen type of signing. You mentioned the comparison of the thinking with the deal that the Diamondbacks made with Eduardo Escobar. I think that's a really a really good comparison, and I think that's kind of the the characteristic type of thinking that we've seen from Mike Hazen in a lot of the moves that he's made. He just seems to be the kind of general manager who's not necessarily going to make a lot of big splashes, but he's going to make a lot of relatively smaller, low-key, um, more behind, like under the radar type of moves. And they're going to be smart moves that legitimately bring value to the team, even if, you know, they don't get necessarily a lot of press coverage. And I think this is like you said, probably a good example of that where the Diamondbacks, uh, they may not end up getting a ton of value out of this deal, but it's also very unlikely that they lose value in this deal. And I think, um, from that standpoint, it, it really looks like it could be a win-win for the Diamondbacks either way. Um, speaking of Mike Hazen's ability to uh, do a lot with a little to make these kind of under-the-radar moves that, that work out well and bring value to the team, I think Greg Holland has really started to burst onto the scene for the Diamondbacks this season. It's hard to ask for more numbers or for better numbers than what he has put up so far this season for the Diamondbacks. Eight innings, two hits allowed, no runs, three walks, 13 strikeouts over those eight innings. He's five for five in save opportunities. Jeff, this is a guy who several years ago was thought to be Probably the best closer in baseball, or at least top three, you would probably say, in his time with the Kansas City Royals. He doesn't have the same stuff that he did then, uh, so I think it, it might be reasonable to question whether Greg Holland is going to you know, be able to perform at this kind of a level throughout the entire season. But what he's done for the Diamondbacks so far this year has been extremely impressive, and this is a position that the Diamondbacks really haven't had a whole lot of stability at for quite some time. I think uh, Fernando Rodney had his moments a couple years back where he was really good for a time. Brad Boxberger had his moments last year where he was really good. But all in all, I don't think either of those guys were really too impressive at the end of the day for the Diamondbacks. And Greg Holland, maybe he can be the closer that really kind of makes a name for himself here in Arizona, and maybe he stays with the Diamondbacks beyond this year.
1: Yeah, I think you look at it... I mean, you, you kind of alluded to, I think he's allowed as many base runners as he's racked up in saves. Like he's yeah. had, I think allowed like five base runners. He has five saves on the year. Yep. Uh, that seems good to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a scientist, but that seems good. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I do agree with, uh, with the sentiment. Um, you know, I, you look at Rodney and Rodney was certainly older when he uh, came aboard um, and Boxberger just frankly like peripherals and everything was not very good. I think Holland's situation is a little different and also yet similar. It's similar in the sense that Hazen has sort of looked for the under the radar sort of inexpensive like uh, let's you know dig to the bottom of the closer barrel and see what we can find. Um, and, you know, we've sort of seen what those results are, uh, and, and they haven't always been, um, been very good, but, you know, Holland is, um, you know, been certainly up to the task and above, uh, so far this season. And so, you know, early on you, you, you remain hopeful. Um, I don't think he's going to continue posting a career best, you know, um, strikeout rate, but, you know, it's, it's still early and, and he's been very effective, you know, does he keep it up? Uh, obviously he, you know, he, we would never expect him to keep up this rate of performance, but, uh, you know, he could regress a little bit and still be just fine. Like I, and I think he's been such a stabilizing force that, you know, it's allowed, you know, or, I don't know if it's allowed, but it's kind of forced, you know, Diamondback fans to look at other components of the bullpen instead of having to worry about the closer. Now they're sort of looking in other, in other areas. So, um, I'm very, very pleased with, with how he's performed thus far. And, you know, we'll just kind of see how long that holds up, but, you know, it was sort of an an upside play again, like another Mike Hazen kind of like, well, let's take a chance and, you know, see, see what we can do, you know, and and Holland certainly picked things up at the end of last year. And, you know, they were going to bet on, you know, him, uh, you know, sort of riding the ship and, and continuing the momentum from, from the end of last season. And, they saw enough there, and it's it's certainly paying off.
0: Another pitcher for the Diamondbacks who has fared very well as of late in the starting rotation is Luke Weaver, uh, who delivered his third consecutive excellent outing yesterday against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, this is a guy who has is, who is really come on strong this season. His first couple starts of the year were pretty rough. I don't think he made an excellent first impression with Diamondbacks fans, but he has very quickly rectified that. You look at the numbers now a 333 ERA, 119 whip, at least on the surface. Those numbers uh, look pretty respectable. And you look at the walk and strikeout numbers. He only has six walks this season over 27 innings. He has 31 strikeouts, a pretty good strikeout rate for Weaver here in 2019. And you compare these numbers with what Weaver did last season, and it's really a completely different story. Uh, I believe his strikeout rate this season, I don't have the number in front of me, but I believe it was 27%, whereas last season it was at 19%. uh, And his walk rate has also dropped significantly. That was actually a pretty big issue for Weaver last year, whereas this season I mentioned just six walks over the 27 innings. Um, So this is, albeit a still small sample size, I feel like we have to preface just about everything at this point in the season with the fact that we just have a small sample that we're working with so far. But early on, Luke Weaver really has looked good for the Diamondbacks in their starting rotation.
1: Yeah, he's been excellent, and that's been really great to see. I mean, the fastball is still somewhat hitable, uh, but if he can, you know, use it effectively enough uh, to get strikes and and get to the changeup, uh, that can be, you know, that can be quite good for him. Like that's that's a tactic that he's going to have to continue to to kind of rely on, and you know, he doesn't use his curveball very often, but it's been. Um, you know, better this season than, than it has been in the past for him. Um, A pitch that I've sort of picked up on the last, you know, in his last start was watching him work the cutter. Yeah. Uh, And it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting pitch in the sense that um, it has maybe a little more, uh, or at least it feels like it has perhaps a little more drop than, than we typically associate with the cutter. Um, And it's sort of caught in that sort of like baby slider, uh, you know, cutter sort of somewhere on that <laughs> spectrum. Like, is it a true cut? I don't know. He can call it whatever he wants. Um, but it's working, and that's you know that's all we care about. So, um, that pitch has been surprisingly good for him this year, and I wouldn't be I wouldn't be totally shocked to see him start to, you know, kind of you know continue mixing it in and maybe a little more frequently, but. You know the the fastball is good enough, um, and if he can, you know, get guys to to foul off the first pitch or, or take a first pitch strike, and you know, command the pitch well enough that it's it's not hurting him, and allow him to get to you know specifically the changeup or even work in the curveballs. Like he can be okay, um, and I don't think he's ever going to be that guy that just you know mows everybody down and blows you away. But you know, then you kind of like you're alluding to, you kind of look at the stat line, and you're like. Man, he kind of snuck up on me. Like he's actually, you know, when you pile it up, it's like, wow, this is actually really impressive. And and, you know, with him being such a big piece of the return for Goldschmidt, it's um it's really great to see him sort of, you know, find that success. And we'll just learn more as we go along. I mean, as you as you said, you know, like five starts is not a lot to go on, but the early returns are really good.
0: You mentioned the Paul Goldschmidt trade. We got a really interesting question from Andrew AJT on Twitter Andrew asks us could the Goldie trade result in more wins this year or no way and this seems to me to be a pretty pretty loaded question, pretty difficult question to answer I think if you're looking at this from the standpoint of you know is not having Paul Goldschmidt on the roster winning the Diamondbacks more games, I think very clearly the answer is no. And, it, and it's very hard to really ever make a case like that when you're talking about a superstar-type player like Paul Goldschmidt. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but, but you also have to consider the flip side of, you know, Luke Weaver has been pretty good for the Diamondbacks. Carson Kelly um, has kind of taken a bit of a step back offensively. He's not necessarily getting a whole lot of uh, playing time every day quite yet for the Diamondbacks. Um, but, I mean, you look at this deal long term, and before Goldschmidt had been extended with the St. Louis Cardinals, the thinking kind of was, you know, okay, the Cardinals have one year of Paul Goldschmidt, and the Diamondbacks get six years of Carson Kelly, and I believe it was five years of Luke Weaver. Um, and you look at it at the trade from that standpoint, and suddenly it looks like the Diamondbacks are doing pretty well. Um, I don't think, as Andrew asked, I don't think you can really look at this season and say that the Diamondbacks are going to win more games without Paul Goldschmidt. I think that's that's a pretty hard sell. Uh, maybe if you factor in that Christian Walker has had all of the success that he's had, um, maybe the the replacement of Goldschmidt with Christian Walker is not as big of a downgrade as we expected it to be. So the Diamondbacks don't lose quite as much value there. But if you're just comparing Weaver and Kelly with Paul Goldschmidt, I think it's pretty clear you're going to get more wins with Goldie on your team. Yeah, I would
1: agree. And I think the 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 kind of elephant in the room with that is is roster size, right? So if you're locked in with 25 players, it's going to be really difficult to, um, you know, to sort of, make up the difference if you will if if Carson Kelly and Luke Weaver combined for the same uh war figure at the end of the season as Paul Goldschmidt I mean you might look at that and say oh look I mean they were just as valuable but you had to tie up two roster spots to do that instead of one so right. there's you know almost no way uh that this is you know going to work out you know in their favor in that regard um and just sort of a a straight, um, summation of, of the value. But, you know, like Kelly has not been really good, but, at the same time, this is actually also kind of the best he's ever hit in the majors. Uh, so <laughs> I know the bar was extremely low, but um, you know, so I, you know, hopefully he can you know he can kind of continue to sort of find his find his groove and um, you know Weaver, as we talked about, and you know Andy Young is 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 doing his thing down in uh, in Double A. So um, no, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be better. But as you mentioned, it might not be that much worse. Uh, if all goes well.
0: Another question we got is from Sean McNally. Sean asks us, should the Diamondbacks offer Adam Jones a multi-year deal, affordable for the Diamondbacks and favorable to an aging vet? I'll go ahead and give Adam Jones's stats for the season. Five homers, 16 RBIs. He's hitting three oh two with a .910 OPS at this point in the season. So all across the board, the, the more basic statistics all look pretty good at this point in the year. Uh, for adam jones once again you're talking about 24 games uh jeff at least from my standpoint on this one i think it's really way too early to consider a contract extension of any kind with a guy who's only been on your roster for frankly about three weeks um in the regular season i don't think we really have a, a big enough sample to really see what kind of guy adam jones is at this point um I think it's an interesting question moving forward, though. You know, maybe Adam Jones actually sticks this out. Uh, He's been a pretty consistent performer um, in his career. You look over the last four or five seasons of Adam Jones' career, and statistically, they all look pretty similar. Um, So, frankly, I would be kind of surprised if, you know, suddenly Adam Jones had this great breakout offensive season all of a sudden at the ripe old age of 33 it seems unlikely but if he is able to keep this up and and maybe he has you know we've seen guys as they as they get older sometimes they make an adjustment in their swing or their approach at the plate and they actually do um you know they they get a few extra years out of their bats and they're able to perform for a little bit longer maybe Adam Jones is the kind of guy that the Diamondbacks look to extend at the end of the season for me though Jeff it's just really way too early to consider anything like that.
1: Yeah, I would agree. It's it's too soon to tell. Um, and we're yet to see um, really Mike Hazen, you know, kind of dictate the direction of the organization, right? Like we, we talked just a little bit before about how he's been very uh, value-based in his approach where he's sort of let moves kind of come to him and then re- been very reactionary uh, looking to kind of capitalize on, um, you know, on opportunities and you could argue he did the exact same thing with Adam Jones, right? I mean, it's not like they targeted Jones early in the offseason, to our knowledge. Um, but he saw value there and in, in, in pounce. And so uh, we don't really know what direction they're going. And we just have to kind of keep in mind that, you know, there isn't a ton of value in locking up roster spots for, you know, a defined period of time for aging players. So, you know, could they work something out? Sure. Uh my Best guess would be, you know, even in a good scenario, they wait until the offseason before approaching anything. And if they were to go that direction, you know, I would be surprised if there was anything more than a one-year deal, uh, you know, waiting for Adam Jones. Because as the market showed, I mean, no one else – I mean, even if he continues to put up, you know, pretty strong numbers for Arizona, like I I don't see anyone willing to come out and start bidding heavily for his services. So – They'll certainly take a wait and see approach on this. Like this is uh, this is this is something that they will probably play out for quite a long time, uh, and there are just a lot of factors and a lot of variables before they'll even probably approach that decision.
0: You mentioned the, just the overall discussion about the Diamondbacks' future and, and their direction and and what direction they're going to be looking to go at the conclusion of this season. I think it's a very Interesting question, uh, something that the Diamondbacks brass is going to have to face probably pretty soon. Uh, I guess this season, the jury's still kind of out on where the Diamondbacks are, how good this team is going to be. Um, But something interesting just came out from uh, CBS's Matt Snyder. Um, And Matt is talking about the Diamondbacks and his opinion on what this team should do. Uh, I believe he's talking about the trade deadline this season, and he believes that the Diamondbacks should go ahead and sell their pieces aggressively at the trade deadline. Um, and so, I, and I just think this is a really interesting conversation starter because this is a question the Diamondbacks are inevitably going to have to face. And I think it even gets more complicated if this, uh, you know, the Diamondbacks haven't been excellent so far, and so far this season they're two games over 500. We don't want to overblow their success so far but if the diamondbacks were still in the playoff mix come uh, around the trade deadline it would make for a very interesting question should the diamondbacks go for it like they have the last couple of years or should they stand pat and, and try to pursue a different direction matt says the diamondbacks should sell aggressively jeff what do you think
1: i mean i i do know yeah we we sort of headed this direction um in our last episode and, and i you know I could think about sort of where Matt's coming from thinking about the diamondbacks are loaded heading into the draft they've got money to spend internationally if there was a time to sort of you know reset the direction of the organization this is probably it um, so so from that standpoint you know I can sort of logically think okay yeah like like maybe that maybe that is a direction they should go Um You know, and and I, he's kind of making the argument that, you know, it's taken the diamondbacks like a, I mean, they're seven and three over their last 10 games. It's taken them a pretty, you know, decent run uh, to get back over 500 and and, and kind of, you know, reestablish themselves. Uh, You know, but I I look at sort of some of their wins, like they're not against bad baseball teams. Like the pirates are not a bad baseball team. The Braves are not a bad baseball team. Um, They have some bullpen issues, but they're not a, not a bad baseball team. Um, So you know, selling come the deadline, I think, is another thing that will probably get, you know, obviously pushed off and, and we've got a long ways to go before we know that. Um, but it, it does make some sense. That said, as we stated last time, I just don't know, you know, what pieces they have to sell that are going to be um, you know, really all that valuable on right. the on the trade market. And that's kind of where that's kind of where I get hung up. Um, and that's kind of the hard part for me. I d I don't know about you, but I mean, David Peralta. I guess I would assume is the most valuable piece, uh, but he's thirty three. Um, so I, I just, I kind of—that's kind of where that theory sort of stalls for me.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think the Diamondbacks are just not in a particularly good position to sell their pieces at this point. And right, it's interesting because I, I think about a year or two ago, if you asked me this question, I think there was a time when I was pretty fired up. About the Diamondbacks ever selling because I, I thought that the Diamondbacks could very quickly restock their farm system whenever they wanted to, because it seemed for a time that they just had so many young assets that mm-hmm. really could, could earn you something in, in a trade. You know, there was a time when the Diamondbacks had Pollock, there was a time when the Diamondbacks still had Corbin. I was expecting that maybe they could look to trade those guys. Uh, Robbie Ray, once upon a time, I think really had a lot of trade value. Uh, Jake Lamb, I think once upon a time, could have gotten you a decent amount in a trade. Uh, but you look up and down this roster right now, and they're just really, as you mentioned, there's really no guy who's in that prime position to be traded. Um, so I do think the Diamondbacks will go ahead and sell at the trade deadline if they're clearly out of contention, like pretty much any team would. I think that's that's almost a given. Um, but whether or not they're going to go ahead and as Matt says, be aggressive about selling, I I think is just, is really just an entirely different question.
1: Yeah, I do too. I think that's, that's where it kind of gets tough for me is, you know, if someone's beating down your door and asking for, you know, David Peralton's willing to give you a bunch, you know, Mike Hazen will listen to that conversation, I'm sure. Uh, but you know, selling aggressively, um, you know, that's, uh, th- that almost sounds haphazard to me. And they're a team that does need to get every last bit of value they can out of any trade. So I don't know that selling aggressively will ever really work for them, um, all that well. And, you know, we look at the deadline, uh, we talked about it before, if he keeps it up, um, you know, Greg Holland might be one of the better trade pieces they have. We're talking about a <laughs> a thirty three year old closer who's coming off of you know a pretty horrendous season and some some pretty serious injury issues. So, um, yeah, I mean, and you know maybe Luke Weaver keeps it up and then you flip him. But didn't you just? I mean,
0: That's didn't you just trade?
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> like how are you gonna how are you gonna square that? I mean, they're not that not that selling. You know, um, not that appeasing the fan base. You know, should be the driving factor, but. Um, that does come into play to some degree, and that's going to be that would be a really tough sell.
0: <laughs> I think for the Diamondbacks, another guy who comes to mind uh, that I want to talk about real quick, and we have one more question to get to, which I'll get to in a moment. But before we get there, I want to talk briefly about Zach Godley, um, who has a 6.67 ERA at this point in the season. And frankly, Jeff, if you want to talk about an MLB starting pitcher whose mechanics just look all over the place. There just isn't really a whole lot going right at the moment. I think that guy is probably Zach Godley, at least on this team. And um, this is a guy who in the past has had these kinds of issues where sometimes his mechanics just go out of whack. Uh, Last season he finished um, with somewhat respectable numbers. He was at least a guy you could plug into your rotation, and I think he was... He was good enough that, that you trust him as probably a number five starter. But with the performance that he's put forth so far for the Diamondbacks here in 2019, I think it might be time to start asking questions about if Zach Godley can actually stick in the rotation. And I thought it was interesting. Torrey Lavello um, was on with Burns and Gambo, which is a, a local uh, radio show in, in Arizona. I'm not sure if you've heard of that, Jeff, being out in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so they did. A, they did an interview with Tori Lavella, which they do every week. And one thing that I thought was interesting after they did the interview um, was they just talked about how when they asked Tori about Zach Godley, just how clear it was in his voice that he didn't seem all that confident about Zach and Zach's ability to stay in the rotation. And yeah. I think that's. I think that's very telling because Tori is is very much known as the kind of manager who trusts in his guys, who is always going to put their best first, and he is always going to support them, uh, potentially even too much, is kind of the um, the opinion that a lot of people have about Torrey Lovello. Um, but I think it, it's telling that he might be in that position with Zach, or he might be willing to, to move another direction. And with Taiwan Walker healing up from Tommy John surgery uh, with Taylor Clark bursting on the scene with with a good outing and and John Duplantier uh, not far away as well. The Diamondbacks have some options that they could look to to replace a guy like Zach Godley.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. When Zach Godley came up, um, you know, or I guess I should even go back to when he was acquired as part of the return for Miguel Montero. Um, it was just like, who who is who is that, godly? Um, and you know, I was like, okay, this guy doesn't look like he's gonna be much of anything. And you know, sure enough, he came out and his numbers, you know, especially kind of early on, were pretty respectable. Um, and so, you know, it seemed like, well, you know, maybe there's maybe there's something here. Um, but at the same time, he is a guy that throws a lot of balls. Uh you know, he has always sort of hovered around um, 39 to 40% in terms of percentage of pitches that are strikes. And obviously, you know, there's such thing as throwing too many strikes, you don't want to be over the plate all the time. Um, but I also just kind of wondered, like, and I, I remember writing about this was like, what happens when guys just quit swinging right. at all the pitches that he throws out of the zone? And I think we've seen, you know guys be more selective against him and you know he he could get a lot of you know swinging strikes at times on some pitches that that weren't even close so i was like you know at some point these guys are just going to quit swinging like especially in certain counts if it's two two um in a count like what what are your what's your trust level that he's going to throw a pitch over the plate and strike you out looking like right i don't know if it's me like i'm laying off um and then it's 3-2, and then he has to make a pitch, and if that pitch is a bad pitch, he either walks you or it's a bad pitch the other way, and you know you do damage. So uh, I think the league has adjusted to him, and, and I haven't seen him have really any way to sort of adjust back. And you know you, you mentioned the mechanics. I mean he just kind of is who he is. I could see him getting pushed back to kind of a bullpen role again. Um, he doesn't have any options. You're not going to send him to the minors. So – he's in kind of a tough spot where you know it's probably the bullpen um, you know when Taiwan Walker comes back and they're gonna need to make some room I mean you can't keep John DePlantier down you know probably probably don't want to keep him down all season I don't know um, they'll probably try to really manage his innings I, I don't think they probably want him throwing too much but uh, I think the ice is getting thin for Zach Godley
0: last question that we have from our listeners before we let all of you go here with this episode is from Joshua Lefferman, um, who asked something that we, we did touch on a, on a little bit last week, um, but I think it got even interesting, even more interesting this week. Josh asks us, what's your opinion on our catching situation at the bigs, and who do you think should be our three guys or maybe two? Um, he suggests the idea of potentially dropping Alex Avila, who, of course, is currently um, on the injured list for the Diamondbacks. Um, so, first of all, I think this this question did get more interesting this week. We talked about it a little bit last week um, on the show. But with the acquisition of Blake Swihart, um, I thought it was very, very funny when the acquisition was first made because all of Diamondbacks Nation was going crazy over the fact that they had four catchers on their roster. <laughs> a lot of people were already giving them flack. Uh, for having three catchers on the roster and out of fourth just seemed very outlandish. Um, and the Diamondbacks, to clarify on that point, the Diamondbacks plan to use Blake Swihart not in a catching uh, role. They plan to move him around in the outfield, potentially around on the infield a little bit as well. I believe tonight he's getting the start in right field for the Diamondbacks. Um, so I think it's very unlikely you see Blake Swihart doing any catching, at least not anytime soon. Um, but uh, this is a, an interesting uh, question that Josh brings up. Uh, nonetheless, I think you could make the argument that Blake Swihart is maybe a guy that the Diamondbacks want to bring back into a catcher's role uh, at some point in the future. I think the Diamondbacks are going to have to pick uh, maybe a couple of guys at some point. Um, and Jeff, I'll, I'll pitch it over to you. If you had to, you know, maybe pick two. Of these guys that the Diamondbacks have out of the four choices that we have on this roster, who do you think those guys would be?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I would still err towards towards kind of the upside, right? I mean, uh, I think we pretty much know what John Ryan Murphy is. He's a guy that is, is a good framer um, and a good defender and can run into a ball, at, you know, at times. But he's probably not someone you build around long term. Uh, Alex Avila is only here, you know, for this year. Um, and probably that DL stay might end up being kind of lengthy on purpose. Um, you know, there, you know, baseball has a way of sort of working these things out. Right. So, (laughs) you know, uh, you know, John Ryan Murphy, you know, has, you know, some injury and all of a sudden, ah, Alex Avila is better. He's been activated. Uh, so, you know, they'll, they'll probably play that out as long as they can. Um, and so to me, it's, it's still kind of Carson Kelly and, and probably eventually Blake Swihart and getting him back there. Um, you know, I saw today a uh, leaderboard of, of, uh, pop times, which is the, you know, the time it takes for uh, a catcher to receive a pitch and get it down to second base on like a stolen base. And he was like, you know, stat cast had him measured with the third fastest pop time, uh, this year. So, I mean, wow. He's quick, you know, he can, he can kind of, he can do the catching things. Um, and I was looking quickly kind of at baseball perspectives uh, framing runs metric of, of pitch framing. And he hasn't had a lot of opportunities, but he's been above average there as well. Um, so I really think they're going to kind of move, you know, if it was me, I would kind of, you know, move that direction um, with Dalton Varsho, obviously not far away either. And so you know, maybe long-term that kind of becomes your three. Uh, with a guy like Swihart being able to play some other positions, um, Varsho is athletically definitely capable of playing some other positions. Uh, you know, Kelly is is pretty much locked in the catcher, but um, I, I think they'll probably, you know, being so value-oriented. You know, and I, I guess this is the uh, the the value episode. Uh, but being so value-oriented, <laughs> like maybe that's you know, the direction they go because there's really no upside in Avila. Um, you know, any upside in John Ryan Murphy is just about gone. So I would expect, you know, longer term, you know, those three guys to really be in the mix.
0: Big thank you across the board to Joshua, Sean, and Andrew for submitting questions to our show today. We really always appreciate it. You too. Um, as our listener, you can always feel free to submit a question for our show, either on Twitter or, or on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at, at TheRattleAZ. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com/slash once again therattleaz. Thank you so much for listening to this third 2019 episode of the Rattle Podcast. We really appreciate you tuning in. Uh, be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes or iHeartRadio or Spotify or pretty much. Anywhere you can find a podcast, you can find the Rattle Podcast there as well. Thank you once again so much for listening, and we'll be back next week with more on the Arizona Diamondbacks.